Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Following the tempting of the Lord by Satan in the wilderness, he had been ministering for a while alongside John the Baptist in Judea before John's imprisonment. The beginning of John chapter 4 refers to this period uh, where we read, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptised more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptised not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So here we learn that before the Lord begins his great Galilean ministry, there is this period of working with John. uh, And this period causes a great stir. And in particular, it attracts the close attention of the Pharisees. Now we see in this verse 14 that the Lord is filled with the Holy Spirit in order to carry out his unique ministry. As he begins his ministry in Galilee, the stir and excitement which had occurred in Judea are now replicated in Galilee. As we read in this verse 14, that there went out a fame of him through all the region round about the preaching of the gospel should cause a stir verse 15 and he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all so our lord uh, went to the synagogues of galilee reminding us that his ministry is the climax and fulfilment of all that the Old Testament had been teaching. And people are very impressed by his powerful and authoritative teaching. Now when Luke says here that the Lord was glorified of all, he is speaking in general of the people in Galilee, where no opposition had as yet arisen to his ministry. Uh, But as we see in this chapter, that would very soon change. Uh, Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So we see here the Lord keeping the Sabbath day holy, uh, it being his custom to do so. Uh, the fourth commandment has not been rescinded. Uh, the Lord of the Sabbath has now made the first day of the week the Christian Sabbath 
Uh, if we want to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which we must do, then we must keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, on one particular Sabbath, he comes to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, now, it's interesting here just to understand how synagogue worship was conducted. Uh, the synagogues uh, had no official readers. Any competent male member uh, might read uh, one or other of the scripture lessons. Uh, at the Sabbath morning service, uh, a second lesson was read. Uh, and the reader of the second lesson uh, might, if he desired, add an address concerning what he has just read. And that is what the Lord does here. The probability is that everybody, including the synagogue rulers, expected him to, to say something in the meeting because of the excitement about the Lord which had been spreading throughout the region. Uh, and it's also prob probably the case, and very interesting this, that as, as the Lord reads out um, the scriptures in the Hebrew language, he would have translated them immediately into Aramaic uh, for the people in the synagogue. Now we read in verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah is the Greek form of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now notice that phrase, he found the place. That suggests that the Lord himself chooses which portion of Isaiah to read, as opposed to the particular passage being the set reading for the day. And the Lord chooses to read from Isaiah chapter 61, which concerns the release of the Jews from captivity in Babylon. Now that release from captivity is a prophetic foreshadowing of the great salvation from sin, which the Messiah will one day bring about. So at the beginning of his great Galilean ministry, the Lord in the synagogue at Nazareth chooses to read a passage of the Bible which foretells the very purpose of his coming and of his work. And so this is what he reads in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath sent me. Now, we have already referred to the Lord being anointed by the Holy Spirit for his unique office at his baptism. 
But we are told here, reading from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel he hath sent me. So the Lord in his ministry in Galilee is sent by God the Father, but he is sent as one who is especially anointed by the Holy Spirit for the task. The Lord is quoting Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. These are messianic passages. They speak of the Lord coming into this world and why he came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. The very word Messiah means the anointed one. What has the Lord Jesus Christ been anointed to do? It is to preach the gospel. Now, the English word gospel uh, was originally good spell. Uh, It is derived from the Anglo-Saxon term meaning a good story. It means the narration of a message of glad tidings. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, to proclaim this good story, this good news. Now in Isaiah 61, Isaiah is foretelling the coming of the Messiah, stating that he will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring a message of good tidings to various classes of people. And our Lord in this verse 18 states that the Messiah is anointed to preach the gospel to five categories of people which we see listed here. Now these five categories depict the condition of all people without faith in Jesus Christ. Those persons to whom the gospel is to be preached are called poor, broken-hearted, captives, blind, and bruised. So who is it that the Lord has come down from the glories of heaven to help and to rescue? It is those who fall into these five categories. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, of the five categories, this is probably the most misunderstood of all. The first category to whom the gospel is to be preached are the poor. Now, interestingly, the word rendered poor here in Isaiah 61 is rendered meek. 
Uh, it comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to be bowed down and afflicted. And so this suggests to us that the focus here is not simply on material poverty, but rather on being needy, weak and distressed in a spiritual sense. In other words, the term poor is being used as a metaphor for a dire spiritual insufficiency, a lacking in any personal goodness, having nothing to commend oneself to God. So the gospel is to preach to the poor. This means to wretched beggars who can bring absolutely nothing to God but their complete emptiness and their complete need. Now, to help us probably understand the meaning of the word poor, we can turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. Revelation 3, 17, where the Lord is writing to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a city of bankers and finance. The citizens of Laodicea, Laodicea were rich and they knew it. And even the church at Laodicea manifested a proud, defiant and conceited attitude of self-dependence because of their material prosperity. So our Lord says to that church in Revelation 3 and verse 17, Thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now they were well off materially, but the Lord says that they are poor. Tragically, the deceitfulness of riches had choked the word of God in the church at Laodicea. So spiritually, that church was wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So let us note the use of the word poor in Revelation 3.17. It is actually being used to describe those who are materially well off. And that helps us to understand the meaning of the word poor here in Luke 4.18. It is being used in the sense of a dire spiritual poverty. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So the gospel is to be preached to those who are spiritually impoverished. Who does this refer to? It refers to every single human being. For all without Christ are suffering from a desperate spiritual poverty which is leading 
to an eternal spiritual death. Now, someone can be materially poor, yet remain proud and rebellious in his attitude to God. Many are pressed down by material distresses and yet continue to swell inwardly with pride and cruelty. The gospel cannot help the poor man who is resolved to hate God precisely because of his material poverty. Such a one needs to become poor in spirit, acknowledging his great spiritual poverty. So we must take great care how we interpret the word poor in this verse 18. The gospel is to be preached to the poor. That means every single human being. Therefore, it includes all who are materially poor. But the gospel's purpose is not to eradicate poverty and create social equality. Although many churches have in fact taught this heresy in order to try and find a message which attracts people. Now, yes, all born-again Christians are called upon to help their genuinely poor neighbour as a fruit of their faith in Christ. But combating poverty is not the purpose of the gospel. And it is not why the gospel is good news. The gospel's purpose is to save men from an everlasting hell. To save those who are suffering from a desperate spiritual poverty. Realising that they have no merits of their own. Nothing to commend themselves to God. And who must therefore flee to Christ, repenting of their sin. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the Lord continues, reading from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, brokenhearted is what all people should be in realisation of their sinfulness and rebellion against God. A broken heart is a heart in despair, not having any hope, not knowing where to turn. In real terms, in terms of their true status before God, every person currently living without Christ is in reality broken-hearted. Just as everyone is spiritually impoverished. Because all in reality have no hope and are in a situation of 
utter despair. They may not realise that, but that's the situation they are in. They do not realise their true standing before God. Were they suddenly made to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, they would be utterly despairing, devoid of all hope at the end of their tether. Now our task is to show people that that actually is their true condition. To make them see their brokenheartedness by setting before them the demands of God's law which they have hopelessly failed to meet and by showing them the horror of their failure to honour God in their lives. Our task is to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician of the diseased heart, whose kingdom is a spiritual kingdom over the hearts of men. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath sent me to preach deliverance to the captives, the Lord continues. The gospel is good news for those whom the Lord describes as captives. The image is not so much that of prisoners in jail, though it can include that, but rather of prisoners of war who are dragged away into exile in a foreign country by the conqueror. In a similar vein, the devil is holding all men in captivity with no hope of escape by any means of their own. The Lord Jesus Christ is sent to preach deliverance to these captives. He has the great commission to stand forth as a herald and to proclaim to them release. So the Lord Jesus Christ has not just come to go into the nation's prisons and to minister to the prisoners. He has come to minister to all who are captives, who are the captives, everyone without Christ. All without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are slaves in a far off country. They are in the devil's territory. They do not belong to the kingdom of God. They are in allegiance to the devil. The gospel is a proclamation of liberty. And so, just as the message of liberty was proclaimed to the Israelites in their slavery in Egypt and in Babylon, so the Lord Jesus Christ, as the fulfilment of those Old Testament events, declares release to those who are in captivity to sin and to Satan. So by the merits of Christ, sinners may be loosed from the bonds of guilt. They may be loosed from their slavery to their corrupted hearts. Those who repent of sin and trust in Christ receive the Holy Spirit. 
to create within them brand new hearts which delight in holiness as opposed to hearts which were sinful by their very nature. So coming to the Lord Jesus is being released from a wretched slavery to sin. And so Paul writes of believers in Romans 6 and verse 18, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So the Christian gospel offers men deliverance from the worst of captivities, which all of those shall have the benefit of that are willing to make Christ their Lord and Saviour. To come to him is to be brought out of the foreign captivity which is Satan's kingdom. It is to be brought into the homeland of the redeemed. The Lord continues, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And notice that he's applying Isaiah 61 to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath sent me to preach recovering of sight to the blind. Now in Isaiah 61, the rendering in our Old Testaments is somewhat different to Luke's rendering here. In Isaiah, we read, to preach the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Here in Luke, we read recovering of sight to the blind. So we see a transition from one idea, the opening of the prison, to the other idea, which Luke focuses on, the recovery of sight. Now this transition is easily explained. When men are in dungeons, they are living in a horrid darkness. When they are set free, they again see the light of day. And in that sense, their eyes are opened. Those without faith in Christ are like captives in an underground dungeon, living in a horrible Satan-induced darkness. But as Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, said of the coming of our Lord into the world, the day spring from on high hath visited us, the dawn has arisen. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The Lord continues. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath sent me to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now this clause is not actually in Isaiah 61 but is a reference to Isaiah 58 and verse 6. And remember, of course, that the whole of the Old Testament is 
the word of Christ. It's given us by the spirit of Christ. So the Lord refers to something written just a couple of chapters earlier on. Isaiah 58 verse 6 speaks of letting the oppressed go free. He hath sent me to set at liberty them that are bruised. So our Lord is adding his, his own commentary on what he has just said. He is explaining the expression, recovering of sight to the blind, by adding the words to set at liberty them that are bruised or oppressed, weighed down. So he explains to those assembled in the synagogue at Nazareth, When I said that the blind will receive recovery of their sight, this takes place when they are set free from the oppression they had been experiencing in Satan's dark dungeon. All the people of this world today are bruised and oppressed even though they do not realise it. They are bruised and oppressed because they belong to Satan's kingdom. All are labouring under a satanic darkness. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. The God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And then in verse 19, the Lord continues, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this is a reference to the year of Jubilee, which occurred every 50 years. During the Jubilee year, Israelites who had been sold into slavery were released. This Old Testament ordinance foreshadowed the ultimate period of Jubilee, namely the great salvation which the Lord Jesus Christ would bring in by his appearing on the earth. So this period of Jubilee, this period of deliverance, is called here the acceptable year of the Lord. Meaning the period acceptable or pleasing to the Lord in which he will grant deliverance to the captives. This is the period which the Messiah shall usher in. So we're thinking of a metaphorical year period of time it's a limited period of time but it's a lengthy period of time it's a day of grace a year of jubilee it's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord because the Lord desires to rescue sinful men and it pleases the Lord that his plans of salvation are being carried out Now, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this day of grace has arrived. And the man reading 
from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue at Nazareth is the one who is bringing about this day of grace, this year of jubilee, this time of deliverance. Verse 20, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. There has never been a Bible reading quite like this one in the history of the world. Look at the reaction of the people. The eyes of all were fastened on him. As one commentator puts it, the word himself has read the word to the people. There must have been a dignity and a power in the Lord's whole appearance. In every inflection of his voice and in every gesture and movement. So much so that all eyes in the synagogue were riveted upon him. We are reminded of the response of the people in the synagogue at Capernaum. Mark 1, 21. Straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 21, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Notice the word began there in verse 21. It implies that the Lord now gave an extended explanation of what he had just read in Isaiah 61. So what Luke gives us here is just a brief summary of what the Lord said. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So the Lord explicitly and openly proclaims that Isaiah 61 refers to him. He explicitly and openly proclaims that he is the anointed one. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one of whom Isaiah writes. We are reminded of what he told the two disciples on the Emmaus road, immediately after his resurrection. Luke 24 and 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that tells us that all the Bible is about Jesus Christ. The whole Bible. He began to say unto them this day, Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? 
Verse 22, all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Many of the people in the synagogue had known the Lord as a boy running around the local carpenter shop. Now they hear him speaking words of infinite wisdom and with an authority which they simply cannot ignore. The Lord speaks gracious words. Words announcing God's undeserved favour to sinful men. Words able to rescue them from their three-pronged enemy of the world, the flesh and the devil. This is such an instructive passage because it is teaching us about the desperate state of all people without faith in Christ. Our Lord states that he is anointed to preach the gospel to five categories of men. They are called poor, broken-hearted, captives, blind and bruised. Who are these people? Every single human being who is not saved by Jesus Christ. These terms speak of the dire spiritual poverty, brokenness, captivity to sin, Blindness of mind and spiritual oppression under which all people labour. But the good news of the Christian gospel is this. Jesus Christ has come to bring deliverance. Amen. Amen.